We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest and then the final event the behind the bangs writing workshop i finally did it put it together put together this workshop because i wrote this book in many ways for younger me and younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught i wanted the gyms i wanted i wanted the knowledge i wanted the education that's what i would have wanted so i've decided i'm doing it and in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn 15 years in my 15 year career as a tv writer and author and blah 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 all the other things i've written there are six things that i always use and all of those are in this workshop so if you have an interest in writing sign up all the ticket links are live today click the show notes click my instagram we are coming to a city near you and there's going to be some meet and greets i'll sign some copies of books we'll give out more books and i have uh, some pieces of merch that i'm taking on the road and i'm gonna give them out at the shows Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. Each week on this podcast, we recap, dissect, and celebrate a female celebrity memoir and really get into all the struggles, all the triumphs, and how they made it through. Not to mention some incredible behind-the-scenes Hollywood dish. This week, we are book clubbing Drew Barrymore's very first memoir written in 1990, titled Little Girl Lost. This book was written by Drew when she was 14 years old, and it is about becoming addicted to drugs and alcohol, starting when she was just nine years old. And you know, it's a book about what happens when a bunch of adults get it in their head that a 14-year-old girl should write a book to save her reputation after going to rehab, which, you know, at times led me to throw my copy of the book across the room, but it was a wild read, and I am so excited for this episode. Part of the problem sounds like that you grew up too soon. At first, I really didn't know the difference. I was like six years old, hanging out with a bunch of 25-year-olds. Mm-hmm. I liked being around older people. I felt like I could relate to them better. Why? Just because they were more experienced. You know, I didn't want to go off and play Barbies. I wanted to go out to a club and dance. So we're going to get into the Drew episode. Some important things to know is that, again, she's writing this book at 14. It will then be published when she's actually 16. I'm not sure what happened in between those two years, but it's published in 1990. And it's centering around her mom, Jade, and Drew's relationship. And we will dive into all of it. 
Some of the stuff is going to be crazy. And that said, this is a book that will really speak to anyone out there who had to grow up too soon. And I'm definitely one of those people. My childhood was truly psychotic. And also, my mom went through so much more than I did. She, like Drew, left home at 14 years old and had to survive on her own and is such an incredible woman. And I also lived on my own um, for short periods of time when I was 14 and 15. And now when I see a 14 and 15-year-old, I'm just like, God, you're so young. But at the time when you're put in the position to be an adult in your own brain, you really think like, you know, I got this. Maybe because you have to got this, (laughs) but that's how you feel. That's definitely how Drew feels. So let's dive into all of it with my amazing guest, Emily Gordon. Hi, Emily. Hello, Chelsea. I am so excited for this week's episode, but first, Emily's credits. Emily wrote the movie The Big Sick with Kumail Nanjiani, and it's based on their real life, and she was nominated for an Academy Award for writing. So, so good. She created and wrote Little America on Apple TV+, which if you haven't seen it, you should absolutely watch. It's so, so, so good. She's written on way too many shows to name. She also ran an infamous comedy show called The Meltdown, which, Emily, you don't know this, but um, you once wrote a long blog article teaching people how to run shows, and I read it and then searched for it later in life and couldn't find it and was devastated and then came to meet you in real life and almost asked you for the link. Actually, maybe this is me asking I, you I for the link. I took down that blog, and but I'm <laughs> happy to give you the private collection. <laughs> Uh, I need the private collection because I went back because I was doing a show and I was like, where is that goddamn genius post? (laughs) Um, Emily also used to be a therapist before becoming a comedy writer, which makes her, I think, the most perfect guest this podcast will ever have. (laughs) And she wrote a book about getting happier and liking your life called Super You. And I will say most importantly, your most important credit is that you were once a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) It's all of, I, if you noticed, I've done kind of nothing since then because that was my only career goal. And now that I've reached it, I, I can just hang out. It's like what There's to do. to do. Yeah, you just replay it. I replay it and watch it all the time as your friend. I mean, it is, it's simply iconic. Um, so I introduced all my guests with the story of how we first met. Whoa. And you were one of Yasser. So I... It's funny because I had Yasser's other close female friend on the podcast for the Gabourey episode, Aisha. But when Yasser and I first started dating, I knew he had two good girlfriends. And and I loved that about him. <laughs> and then he and I one time had a fight. And he walked away. At, you know, we took our, our space. And he, we came back. And he just had the best things to say. He'd really thought it through. He was like... And it was like this incredible thing. And I later found out that he had gone and called you and you had given him this like phenomenal advice. And I was like, I I was just like, oh my God, this phenomenal woman is like helping me in my relationship. And so when we first met, we went out to dinner, the four of us, and I was in love with you before the dinner started. So that's how I remember it. (laughs) How do you remember it? I had heard a lot about you as well. Um, and I had known Yasser for like a few years, but then we got really close when we worked on a show together and he just kind of kept talking about you and how, oh God, he's going to hate me for this. He didn't want to mess it up. How he like was like, this girl is like so cool and she's like awesome. And I don't know, like he kind of was like a little nervous about how great you were because that's what guys do when they get a good thing. They get frightened immediately and try to throw it into the air. Uh, (laughs) men are very smart. Um, I just remember being like, like. I kind of was just like, you got this. 
the guys will have like this lovely instinct and then they just go, I need to cover that up with whatever game I'm running. Like whatever, like I need to figure out the right yes, thing to yes, say. Yeah. And I was like, just say the thing you said to me to her. I bet. <laughs> I bet that'll be cool. I bet that'll be fine. And don't like, you don't have to like concoct another um, thing. This is the thing that my husband is still trying to figure out uh, in our relationship. So, and so I remember that dinner and I just remember being. Well, I, I remember that was part of it too. He was like, you know, Emily had had dealt with this fight in her relationship and this is what she wished her husband had done. So this is what I'm going to do with you. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I just want all of my guy friends to be like good boyfriends. I think guys think that somehow being a boyfriend yeah. and being a friend are like two different things. It's like, no, it's just one is the other with like a little deeper. Like don't. Yeah, be like a good dude. Just be yeah. the good dude you are. <laughs> totally. No, I, well, and I was, yeah, I was so, that it was great advice. And and you played a part in this love story. Also, I love, I love that I brought you on and now I have it recorded forever. The, the <laughs> wonderful things Yasser said. <laughs> um, okay, so when I sent out the list of books to read, I, I mistakenly had Drew's newest memoir, Wildflower, on the list. And you wrote me back and you said, no, I, I, I want to do Drew Barrymore, but it has to be Little Girl Lost, which is out of print. <laughs> this book is out of print. So we each had to track down a copy of the book. It was a million dollars. And I will say I am so happy you made us do this book. But what on earth made <laughs> you choose this? I read the list of books. I saw Drew Barrymore's name and I went, oh, Little Girl Lost. I read that in middle school. Oh, my God. I would love to read that again. And I, no part of me thought that a woman that is still famous to this day would have written a second memoir. It just didn't enter into my, I just had no concept. <laughs> I thought, I thought you were suggesting Little Girl Lost. That's how I read it. That's how I read That's the email. So, funny. so I went, oh, absolutely. And before I even finished the email, had already gone and started tracking it down. I, um, it was quite hard to find. I spent quite a bit of money on mine. Yeah. I was really happy that uh, you were willing to go on that journey because I could have read Wildflower. It would have been fine. I, I would imagine that's a, and maybe we should do a sequel at some point, but I would imagine that's a very different book than this one. <laughs> I absolutely think we should do a sequel. And I think this was the best thing that ever happened to me. This this book is one of the most intense, <laughs> intensely uh, infuriating, but also like, I'm so happy I read it. And I had like a visceral out-of-body experience every page I turned. And like, I am i don't know what I would have done if we had just read the more buttoned-up The buttoned-up newer memoir. Up, uh, like, sanitized. Because in 1990, we were pulling no punches with like, being honest about Pulling in no punches. What, where we were, what we were doing with our time. <laughs> yes. And what is interesting, and I can't quite figure it out, is that Drew... Um, consistently references that she writes this book when she's 13 and 14 years old. It's published in 1990, which is when she is 16. Oh, and oh. it's it's almost crazier to me because I'm like, who, wh one, why would you sit on it for two years and then when you put it out, <laughs> to not change all this shit, um, you know, or not give it a different ending or not update? I don't know what happened there. Also, the, the her at 16, just girls were walking around looking like grown women in their 40s back then. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I will. I should say like in the book, and now I'm skipping ahead, but in the book, she's constantly like, I was 10, but I looked 20. And I was like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. And that's impossible. And then sometimes you see pictures of her and you're like, 
Okay, you did she look very did. old. Except for like the baby fat on her face, she looked like a grown woman. I will say she looked like a grown woman at 13, but sometimes she's like, when I was nine, I looked 18. And you're like, no, no you did not. not you did yeah. Okay, before we can get into the book recap, um, I feel like we need to discuss the, the format and the ghostwriter, Todd Gold. Oh, so Todd. half the book. Oh, oh, God. Todd. Okay, half the book is written by Drew when she's 14. And for the most part, not fully, it does sound like a 14-year-old is writing it and that someone kind of came in and cleaned it up, Todd. But but she provided the base. It does feel like that. The other half of the book is Todd, and he's writing in third person and filling in the story. He's like popping in in weird moments, but really he it becomes clear that he's writing Drew's mom's side of the story and that all the information interviews were from her mom, Jade. And so Todd's parts are infuriating, full of misinformation. They don't match Drew's side, even though they're in the same goddamn book. They are one giant defense of Drew's mom. It often sounds like he wants to fuck her or is <laughs> fucking her. And never in my life have I been more angry at a ghostwriter. I'm like... I'm like, I feel bad at how mad I am because he's still like an alive working writer. There's a chance I could run into him. I researched (laughs) him a lot. He seems like a quiet guy who doesn't have a lot of enemies. And like, I am happy to be the first because I need an explanation. I need a follow-up article, an apology for getting this girl's story wrong. Are you mad at him or am I alone? It's interesting. I hadn't thought about how much he does. He's favoring Jade. Absolutely. I hadn't really considered that. To me, it felt like they got the book And then they were like, oh, most of this is like without context. Like we don't understand. We don't hear from the mom. And and then in my head, I figured that they went to Jade and were like, hey, would you want to write up? And hers were like, I'm great. I'm a perfect mom. I can't (laughs) believe what happened. What a bonkers thing. This is not my fault. So to me, it almost felt like he was like the middleman of like, well, it's not Jade, but it's also not Drew because it, 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 that's but that's the bummer part is that it treats it like it's an objective account, but it is not at all objective. It is a but very it's subjective. Not, and and also Drew's a child. Yeah. So anything, even though stuff is Drew's fault, it is the adult's fault. And then his whole thing is how it's not, and it's Drew's book. And then yeah, he does this objective account that's not objective, and it's not from Drew's side. It's from his her mom's. And I think what really made me mad is that it's clear he's a snob. Like he he uses words like they got into imbroglios and it's like fuck you this is a 14 year old's book like how dare you you he's reading this this is not getting a pulitzer prize (laughs) like yeah and also like it's just not you're not in the tone of the book like a ghostwriter's job is to embody yeah to be a ghost and instead he's like this dickhole and even his when i opened it up his bio's on the front page and i immediately was like oh no i hate him because he's like todd lives an anti-hollywood life and it's like okay well then don't then don't write about hollywood i didn't like you know what i mean then maybe you're not the person to guide this 14 year old girl oh it might be just in my copy yeah that's super gross i did not realize that what else has he written okay so here's what's infuriating he drew's memoir was his first ghostwriting job he went on to write 20 more memoirs, including Valerie Bertinelli, Melissa Gilbert, Richard Pryor, and Donnie Osmond's dog. Um, But it's like, but it's like one of those things where you can tell somehow he did Drew's book and then it gave him a career, even though every page I read, I'm like, how did you work again? How did anyone ever let you work again? 
I'm so mad. He like makes dickish grammar choices. He wrote the sentence, Jade's face became a billboard of sadness. Like, whatever. Okay. I read this book for the first time when I was in middle school. I was 11 when this book came out. I probably read it. I was like obsessed with, I thought she was the coolest. I still have her hair. So obviously. Um, oh, <laughs> I, I love thought, that you do. I thought she was like scandalous and cool. I, I So when I read the book the first time, I ignored the Jade parts. I only read Drew's <laughs> oh, account. That's why you had a good experience. Yeah. So the I was like, oh God, everybody's getting Drew down. She's got a, and I kind of just skipped over the like grown up objective quote unquote parts. And I kind of a little bit when reading this was like reconnecting to those parts I read when I was a kid um, and getting very angry at like the amount of like uh, parental, but it almost felt like they were like, we need to protect Jade. Like somehow they were like, this book can't yes. come out until Jade says it's okay for it to come out. So I almost yes. read it like this was Jade's version of like, I got to make this okay to come out, but not, but still have it be kind of Drew's book. I don't know. Kind of, but, but that makes me mad because, okay, we'll get into it. <laughs> okay, so I also should say there is so much in the book. There's so, so, so much that there. It's a, we would have to do 10 podcasts to cover this book. So we will be skipping a lot, but uh, there's, there's a ton still. Okay, so let's read the very first page of the book. Um, I want to read the first paragraph and then the last paragraph of the prologue. Over the past year and a half, numerous stories about my battle against drug and alcohol addiction have appeared in magazines, newspapers, and tabloids. None of them was flattering. A few of them were kind in the way that someone who needs it might appreciate. More important, none of them offered a complete picture of how I lived the past 14 years, and that by itself is an important part of understanding the problems I had to face. As of this writing, I'm in the final weeks of rehab. My last time in the hospital, I hope. And I'm just looking ahead to the start of school, making movies, and just being honest with myself. Which is like, you're like, oh no. You poor sweet thing. You poor, and that, you poor sweet I thing. mean, that's a big, what is so kind of cool about the book is that she's kind of writing this whole thing of like, oh, everything's great. I had some problems, but everything's cool. And then she's like, actually guys. <laughs> actually guys, I'm in, in rehab again. I am in rehab right now. I've been lying to everybody, including you guys. Uh, I, that was kind of my favorite part of it as a kid. And also as an adult was like, yeah, that's right. This is not like a thing where you beat it and you're like, I killed the dragon. Look how cool I am. Um, it's kind yeah. of a pretty honest account of like addiction, I think. Yes. Drew's account is honest for Drew's sure. Drew's account is honest. You're correct. Okay. So Drew's dad is John Barrymore, who comes from a long line of famous Barrymores, all Hollywood royalty. Jade is her mom. She was trying to be an actress and never really made it. She and Drew's dad split up early. And Drew says her dad is, in the book, she says he's out of his mind. He's also an addict. He abuses both her and her mom. And Jade leaves him when he punches her in the stomach when she's pregnant. So let's quickly honor how much abuse Jade has suffered. What a crazy, because what a terrible, he, like, he's not a great guy. Not a great guy. Not a great guy. Not a great guy. And what's hard is that Jade is so infuriating in this book. She's a true villain. But then you also remember that, like, Drew's dad isn't there at all, or else he would be the bigger villain because he abused these women. And yeah, he just splits. By the way, that's a very good point, is that often we heap, like, it's your fault on the parent who's there, but they're the parent who is there. Like they're, they're the at one. least they're yeah. there. Yeah. 
Yes, exactly. Which is so tough, especially with single moms where, you know, you're so mad at them, but it's like, well, dad's not even there. So what can we do? Yeah. Um, So Drew, her first big thing that she books is E.T. That's what really blows up her star as a kid. And then in the book, it's so heartbreaking. She's like, I knew E.T. wasn't real, but like, I also, he was also my best friend though. And I ate lunch with him and I talked to him. And so you're like, I don't think you know he's not real. And 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 she's sobbing when the movie is over because she's like, I can't sit and have lunch with E.T. And I'm thinking like, oh, Steven Spielberg is about to like make her an E.T. to take with her. And they're just like, you can come visit if you want. See ya. <laughs> well, you know, he's <laughs> gonna so start sad. disintegrating you know what I mean? Like, and that was going to be spooky. You don't want a kid to like take a, like a, a thing home that she thinks is her friend. And then it's just like kind of falling apart. slowly. Oh God. Okay. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I mean, the fact that that thing was her best friend, my heart shattered. We, haven't, we, we don't need to get into it, but the, I saw ET at way too young of an age. Um, and I have, it fostered a lifelong fear of aliens, uh, in me. Oh, of course. Like terror. And I thought I was over my fear of E.T., specifically E.T. more than anything. And then Kamel and I went on the ride, the E.T. experience ride in Orlando, like, I guess like six or seven years ago, full, full grown up sobbing, sobbing, like on the oh, ride. you were so scared. I was so scared. <laughs> I was next to like children and they were all like, who's E.T.? And I'm just like crying like trying to like stop it and being like embarrassed about it but like i'm not i'm i'm over it enough that i can like think about them or whatever no, don't don't lie emily you're not over et i'm not i can't i'm not gonna watch the movie ever again in my whole like i can't i it just like scares me yeah it's an intense movie yeah. and it's to talk that's how that's how you felt watching it drew's in it she's in the movie and came away being like this monster alien is my only friend in life so. this wrinkly penis body with the glowing finger is my best friend is my best friend <laughs> um and so okay so then we get into a bunch of, you know, it's not Jade's fault and stories like that and a bunch of spin like uh, paragraphs about how Jade didn't want to put Drew into acting. Her Drew's headshot was taken behind Jade's back by a friend and then a casting director forced them to come to the audition and Jade had to go and then Drew gets the part for her first commercial when a dog bit her and she didn't cry. And <laughs> and everyone looked at her and Jade was like, she didn't cry and she got the part. Yay! Which is like a metaphor for the rest of Drew's life. <laughs> a dog is biting her, she doesn't cry. <laughs> now look, I, here, and I'm going to take a controversial stance here. Okay. I will say, I don't know that I feel I... I kind of empathize with Jade in this book, and I think in a way that you don't, even this very subjective view of it. And I possibly because I I was a family therapist for a while and I worked often with parents who were like not great parents. But I saw as I was reading that, I was like, she's frustrated as an actor. She's kind of living out some of her dreams through a kid. That's not the coolest thing, but it's not like you get it. You understand why that happened. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like a tough thing of like, well, that's what she wants. So that's what I'm going to give her. And I think that's what she wants. But now she's kind of a grown up. And oh, it's really hard to get a kid who you've made into a grown up in some areas to go back to being a kid the rest of the time. Like yeah. that's impossible. And I worked with yeah. a lot of I worked with a lot of kids who were like told by their moms, you're the man of the house when you're 10. And then, like, why can't the man of the house have a couple of beers then, like, if he's 10? So I as I totally get it. But I also, like, a little bit, I, I'm like, 
Jade, like, yeah, you didn't know what you didn't know what you were doing, man. Like, man. Okay, so this is good. I'm so I'm so glad you have that point of view because I yeah I tried to be like yeah Jade Jade's also an abused woman yeah who failed as an actress and but it just gets so hard sometimes to still have heart for her so so keep it up because I did a I like it was hard for me because because you're right about those decisions. Except I get especially angry when she's trying to be like, oh, I don't even want her to be an actress. And it's like, you're lying. Yeah. You're lying. No one took your baby's headshot behind your back and forced you to walk to the audition. Yeah. And then also, Drew will say things like, oh, my mom didn't do this. Um, a grown-up gave, a, 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 her friend gave me weed for the first time. There's a lot of friends giving people drugs. A lot of friends. And that's where you're like, okay, either the friend's name is Jade and we've changed it to friend, or... She has all these people around her kid yeah. that which is the kid also up. really like yeah and and I'm sure we'll get into it but like the nightclub that like they would just go and yes. hang out in uh, there's a lot of really bad decisions being made but uh, and I've been told sometimes I over empathize with people who don't deserve it and it is a result oh. of my training as a therapist but I do it is hard I I'm like I feel for Jade sometimes too like even this version of Jade I feel for sometimes. Okay, good. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. She she went through a lot, too. Okay, so Drew has huge issues with her dad, who physically and emotionally abuses both of them. He hits Drew. He one time puts her hand in, a, in the fire of a candle, <sighs> being like, never be afraid of fire. And I was like, wow, I know you're her real dad, but this is huge stepdad energy. Like, big stepdad energy, even though you're her also biological like dad. Also, like, bad dad in a movie energy. Like, it's like, yeah. it's almost too written. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost too perfect. Because then... She's like, and my dad was really into karate. You're like, oh, no. And then, but, and you're like, haha. And then he, she's like, yeah, he would practice his kicks, but then also sometimes hit me. And so, again, big stepdad energy here. And then he just disappears from the book because he, because he splits with a, I don't know, a, a, a kick and a spin. And he's like, God. You don't need a license to have children. Turns out. You know what? You don't have to get any training. You don't have to do any. You just get to do it if you want to do it. (laughs) You just get to do it. And they did. So Drew makes $75,000 to when she is in ET. And I I just quickly want to call out that Drew is not the star of ET. Mm -hmm. This is 1982. 82. yeah, and Drew made $75,000. To cross this over to the Gabourey Sidibe book, 30 years later, Gabourey was the star of Precious, and she made $30,000 for the movie. I'm uh, so sorry. What did you just say? Yeah, yeah. And I covered that in the podcast, and I was trying to find a way to explain, like, $30,000 is so much money, but, like, but this woman got she fucked and it's no money. $30,000. Uh, this is not part of this book, but that is, that is criminal. Yes. It's truly criminal. I mean, they fucked her so bad. And in her book, she's so um, classy. She just kind of states it and doesn't and moves on and and I guess leaves it for people like us to be like, oh, my God. But um, but yeah, so to compare, 30 years later, she made $45,000 less than a child. child who was a supporting actor. Yep. Yes. And just to call out how, you know, black women are treated in this business versus white women. You know, it, it's, it's just egregious. Okay. So Jade is like, um, so... Todd and Jade. I, I'm going to call them Jod. When when they have little things, I'm going to I'm going to call it Jod because it's it's Jade, but it's Todd. What's Jod to say? 
what's Jod got going on? Um, so Jod then walks us into kind of what you were talking about, Emily. They're like, Drew wanted to act so bad. So Jade had a big decision to quit her life and her dreams and stop working. And she had to become her manager and live on that $75,000. But it was Drew's decision. And it's like, I'm sure it was. She's nine. Yeah. That's a decision a nine-year-old makes. How about my mom who's mistreating me becomes my manager? <laughs> like, yeah. That's a, and that's that thing where people are, because that happened to me too, where they're like, you decide. And, you're, and you do. And then you're like, oh, I was a child. <laughs> I, I should. I was not equipped to make this decision whatsoever, and it's a weird. It's weird to give children. I think it's a terrifying. I, even when it comes to and people debate this all the time. Like your kid, like I'm going to let my kid pick their religion. We're going to take them to a bunch of churches and see what happens. And it's like that is a lot to put on a kid to be like, oh, I'm supposed to know how to make. This is a lot. That is literally what I was just talking about when I said that. When I was little, my wonderful mom told me I could choose my own religion. But that's a really hard decision to make when you're a kid. And I ended up going to so many different churches all my life to like dabble and try and figure out, you know, which one I wanted to be. And I ended up picking nothing because, you know, church is also a lot about community. So when you're just like a weird solo kid walking in, you know, I, I sometimes was not welcomed, except for um, with my best friend when I lived in Utah and went to the LDS church. They are very welcoming. Um, but I ended up, yeah, I ended up choosing nothing. And it comes from such a good place of a parent, like not wanting to force religion on you. But I don't know anyone who was allowed to choose their own religion as a kid who then chose one. Like they either chose nothing or like they joined a cult. Yeah, kids need a, and I, this is the therapist talking, kids need a box that they, has safe walls. And within that box, they can do whatever they want. But when they try to move out of the box, they learn, oh, good, I'm safe. I, I've got this box. And I wish yes. every kid could have a box. I know that sounds restrictive and abusive, but it, I, I, it's that's no, what I, kids I, need. They need a box. I think that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. And Drew, not only does Drew not have a box, they have turned the box into confetti and they sprinkle it on her every now and then. Um, at eight years old, she's on set and she has two glasses of champagne that she gets from crew members. And they're like, sure, chug it, little girl. She loves the feeling. And that's just kind of also indicating a set is filled with hundreds of people. Five of those people's job are to watch the kid, including her manager. And um, no one's watching her. No one's watching her. No. no one's watching her. She's just very alone. And so when she returns to school, she's kind of famous now and everyone hates her. And also this is the 80s. So not just kids hate her, teachers hate her. And they're jealous of her and they make fun of her and they call her Miss Piggy and fat. And she's tormented like day in and day out. And she had this story about how she has these, she, she wants to fit in. So she gets surfer shorts and they just happen to have this space design on him on them. And then kids call her cosmic cow. And it, it reminded me of when I wore a shirt to school that I thought was so cool. And it said hang 10 on it. Ooh. And then I got called hang tits for the rest of my life at that school. But it's just like uh, these simple little childlike things, like something that shouldn't matter. And, and, and kids have the ability to take these, these tiny phrases and then just beat you to death with yeah. it. I, like, I wore yeah. um, some pleather pants, like fake leather pants to school. And a kid in the mall, not even a kid I went to school with. Oh, God. He said he went. I think he said fat girl in a garbage bag. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I was 
just crushed it i mean yeah crushed. and it's like the you thing i was like i it. took a swing i took a small swing and i got beaten all the way back down to where i belong yeah yes 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 i took a small a small swing and then they took that bat and and beat me with it they beat me um, to death with it <laughs> yes exactly i think i think it happens to a lot and i think i think it happens to a lot of kids yeah um so this at least the narrative in this book is that drew is so horribly bullied at school that she gets really into clubbing and going to parties keep in mind she is 9 to 13 years old for this so the book is like jay didn't like that she was having such a bad time in school and you know they were business parties jod is always like they went to a business event at studio 54 and you're like okay and um you know Jade is being treated like a famous person because she's the mom of a famous person. So she's living out her fantasy. And sometimes Drew's like, yeah, we went out five nights a week. And then, yeah, talk about that friend's club. Like, she was like, it was my friend's club. And it sounded like, I do believe they're referring to MJ's, which is the club that is where Tenants of the Trees is now, which is a a Los Angeles institution, a bit of a cursed location. Um, Because for a while, tenants had a problem of uh, bartenders drugging drinks that had been like an issue. Oh, my God. Um, And I I'm this is not just like this was like a thing that was like widely reported. They they kind of did their best to clean it up. But before that, it was just it had been a very popular club. it was like a club in Silver Lake that like Madonna hung out at in the 80s. Oh, wow. Yeah. I I mean, Drew calls it her haunt. Yeah. And I'm like, is haunt your word? I'm 41 and I don't have a haunt. I mean, never said, (laughs) yeah, wish I had a haunt. Don't have a haunt. Uh, I felt, and I have seen, when I have gone to like big, like Hollywood events, I have seen a young actor who is, I think was eight, seven or eight. I've seen him walking around parties way too late, like midnight, 1 a.m., um, parents are there, but not, he's just like wandering around, perfectly charming kid, seemed fine. Everything's, but I just kept being like, are you tired? Like, are you okay? What's yeah, happening? Well, and now I'll think of Drew. Cause before yeah. you're like, well, that's an actor. They're here. They're and now working. you're like, it's a child. It's yeah, they're working except, okay. So they love to blend this line in the book where they'd be like, oh, well, she, she was at the Academy Awards and everyone loves that. So why are you so mad? She's at this club. And you're like, very different. But Jade is like, well, my friend owns the club. And then Drew describes at 10 years old, they would go to bars and clubs and they would go their separate ways. And her mom would literally say, have fun and be good. And Drew would run off into the night and her mom would go do her thing. And then it is at Rob Lowe's 20th birthday. There's so many references to like, whoa, that's the guy we're going to talk about here. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We're like, what? Yeah. That. Rob Lowe's 20th birthday party is when Drew gets her drinking problem. So I, what a thing. To I hope he heard about that. Um, so Drew is 10. Yeah. She lists the guests, which include Emilio Estevez and our girl Demi Moore. Um, and Drew loves boys way too young. Like at nine years old, she's like, I love men. And, P.S., and- that's something that's not addressed in this book at all. Like not all, like, touched. Like where are you? Yeah. Yeah. And I yes. I don't know if there's another book to be told. I don't wish it upon her. I can't imagine that there haven't been some very troubling experiences with her with adult men, just given yes. the environment she was in. 
Yeah. Well, and I will say these these are places where uh, I I decided Todd was my enemy because he and his parts would be like, well, Drew, of course Drew wasn't sleeping with them. And then in Drew's parts, she'd be like, yeah, so sex is a big issue for me. I'm thinking about sex a lot. And you're like, are you not reading both parts of the book? You know, I and like, why are you a, trying a to conscious spin decision it? to be like, I'm not. And I want to believe it was Drew. Like, I in my head, it was Drew being like, I'm not talking about this part at, at all. Like, we're not touching this. I'm not doing it. But I'm thinking about it could be a legal standpoint where they're like, hey, we're not going to be able to get like you say that this guy did this to you. Now that's a whole thing. Like now it's a different kind of. And yet and yet at this party, she writes a horrifying Emilio Estevez interaction. And I I almost don't even want to repeat it because I'm I'm not I'm not sure if it was from her point of view that made it so horrible or if it really was fucked up. But it's like it's like her dancing with him and wrapping her legs around him. And then he like she's like, then he gave me a pat on the tush and I loved him. And you're like, was this a guy being nice to a child or is this as sexual as it's written? It's because that would be pretty crazy it's pretty bonkers and 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 written from her point of view i'm like i'm like let's leave some i want to leave room for emilio to have been like a good guy because it's like i had a crush on a friend of my dad's when i was like nine and i remember sitting next to him at the pizza restaurant and just being like i love your mustache can i touch it like I remember being yes. weird to like grow totally. <laughs> Well, and that's kind of what I got from it. That Drew yeah. was like, I'm in love with this grown man. And this grown man just thought he was being nice yeah. to her. But it reads it's as hard. if it's, it's a hard line. It's a hard line. And I was like, I don't know how to walk this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When she I, I don't she still wraps have her legs around him on the dance floor. I was like, oh, oh and, and he's like, you wanna? And she's like, I don't know. I've never done it before. But they're talking about slow dancing. <laughs> I know my, my. My butthole was so tight, it like crawled inside my body and was like, um, yes, that was tough. And so then Jod has the audacity to say that Jade was one of the stricter parents she knew. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, Drew then books more movies and the narrative becomes that Drew is so horrible to her mom that this is all her fault and that Drew is such an amazing actress that that is why Jade didn't know that Drew was an alcoholic and a drug addict because she was covering it up and so Jade didn't know. And Jod says this like tw- like four times. Well, she was just such a good actress that she could hide it from from Jade. And it's, but, but then she would write things of like, yeah, I made out with this boy in my mom's car with yeah. a coat over our heads. My mom had no idea. And you're like, uh, well, a car is not that big. It's not that big. And if there's a coat over two people, what do you think's going on? What do you think's going on? But then she's like 10 and, oh boy. Um, oh boy. Okay, so one of the, oh yeah, one of the boys she makes out with, it's misspelled in the book where again, Todd says he's a journalist. Literally one of his bio is like, I'm a journalist. But then Brecken Meyer's name is misspelled in the book. Do you think it's Brecken Meyer? Is it Brecken Meyer? Yes, when I was recapping this, because I recap the books on my Instagram stories before we like do this. So people do this like little digital book club with me and like 10 people track down that it is him for sure. He did an interview that I posted where he's like, yeah, um, I was Drew Barrymore's boyfriend and she gave everyone fake names in the book except for me. And she like outed me as being like, you know, them having this like crazy sexual interaction. Well, also, Chelsea, she did change his name to Brecken spelled differently. (laughs) To Brecken spelled, yeah. But it's like, one letter off? Like, yeah, that's, what? Uh, Is this a choice or not? And she misspells um, Corey, like Corey Feldman later yeah. too, gets 
But but it's also a caption under his photo. Yeah. So you're like, what? what? An odd thing. I didn't. What I, when I read thing. it, I thought, would could that be Breckenmeyer? But I did not. Uh, yes. I did not look into it. If there was not an interview, I, I would give it room. But yeah, he he was like, that's me. That's me for sure. Okay. Um, and he, he was an actor age? in Clueless. Yes, he was twelve. Yes. Oh, thank God. Oh, yeah, because the story is like the crowds parted and I as a 10-year-old like got it on with this 12-year-old named Brecken. And my mom was like, Drew, is something going on? And Drew was like, no, mom. And her mom was like, okay, cool. Good. <laughs> like, but you just saw it. <laughs> you just saw it. Um, okay, so Drew is being blamed for being an alcoholic and she's blamed for getting into drugs. And she's blamed for all this bad behavior, which like while is hers, She's just, she's also still a child. And then it's very clear in the book that Jade puts Drew down a lot because um, Drew was just constantly referencing, like, my mom's putting me down. My mom fights with words. My mom's mean to me. And so then we get to a story where Drew slaps her mom. And I was like, I think get it's her. okay. Get her, Jade. <laughs> I know. I was like, that's okay. I'm not mad. Like, I think this was a story to be like, oh, she hit her mom. And I was like, yeah. Good. Is that a bad take? Um, and so then Drew stops wanting to work. And I swear to God, Jod writes that she didn't want to work, but her manager and agent decided she was taking this movie and it was for the best. Like, Jade is the manager. Like, yeah. you just told say, us say Jade that is the name. manager. Say that name. If that's who is doing this, absolutely say that name. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, I think perhaps the way books were written back then, they were like, we'll just say her manager did it. And they'll forget there's two chapters that this is Jade. This is Jade. Like, her mom forced her to keep acting, despite in previous chapters saying she never forced her to do anything. And it was always Drew's decision. Now this book is like, her manager forced her. The manager is Jade. Which is also true. This book is written, what, I guess, what, that's 30? Oh, my God. That's, this book was written 30 years ago. Yeah. And things were, like, we weren't thinking about how parents were treating kid stars. We weren't thinking about kid stars as people at all. Like At all. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Oh. And that shows up in, in interviews Drew does at this time. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to take a little break. But when we come back... Drew is going to more clubs, partying with Apollonia, and going nuts in New York City. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir 
but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role, and we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book, it matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. All right, welcome back. So Drew and Jade have gone to New York City to film more movies, and Drew is going to clubs constantly and fighting with her mom, and she's out every night of the week and literally and physically getting thrown out of clubs and onto the curb. And then it's and then you'll realize like oh she's eleven yeah she's she's like this bouncer threw me on the curb and was like and never come back it's like you're eleven you're eleven years old. Uh, yeah, I could have thrown her on the, out on the curb, probably. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. she's very small. <laughs> yeah, she's tiny. Um, well, and so then Drew gets roller skates, which was quite a turn. And it's like, she's got to skate to these clubs and save money. And she's, a, she's an on-the-go city gal. And I mean... Is this the bird scooter of 1986? Like, I I was so, I had to sit with the image of 11-year-old Drew roller skating to clubs for like an hour before I could move on. Listen, in the movie, that the biopic of Drew Barrymore that will happen one day, that's going to be such a great moment. There's going to be a great needle drop. It's going to be a beautiful, like, hair going, just streaming back, just two kids having fun. Because you think about it, that's a very childlike way of, of getting around. It's like, a, that is what a kid would do. That's what she should have been doing is roller yeah. skating. Yeah. But like in a Not rink, to a maybe. <laughs> Not to a club. <laughs> Not to the limelight or whatever the fuck was happening back then. <laughs> also, wow. Th- I, this just hit me. She later directs the movie Whip It. That's right. I wonder if that's from this moment just in her life. It must skates. be. Just loving roller skating so much. Lo- and being like, it's and I'm sure back. to get through the New York City sidewalk, she had to push some people out of her way. Bow, bow. It's the movie. Okay, so uh, a bunch of shit happens, but then Drew finds cocaine. And this is what Jod has to say. Quote, at this point, Jade was feebly resigned to the helpless position of worried parent. She sat bit her nails, and imagined her hair turning white and her wrinkles turning her face into a billboard of angst. That's right, the billboard of angst. That's what it was, angst. I mean, that I is mean. Some, that is some, that is gross. That is a gross turn of phrase and a gross way to describe what that is. I definitely have seen parents little by little kind of like losing control of their kids and then like, It goes from like, don't smoke pot to like, please don't smoke pot in the house to like, please don't smoke pot in the house while I'm home. Like, it's just like this ever moving. And I can see Drew pushing boundaries and Jade 
not being strong enough to stand up to them. Also being like, this is how we make money. So I kind of have to keep this person happy. And then it just slowly getting away from her in a way that is really horrifying and should not be glorified as like, oh, poor Jade. (laughs) But also it's like, she's a mat. If you were like, Jade was so worried her hair turned white, you'd be like, yeah, she's under duress. Yeah. She imagined her hair turning (laughs) white. She imagined the wrinkles getting to her and you're like, okay, that doesn't sound that bad. None of that actually happened. She remained hot, but she she imagined. The amount of times Todd describes how tiny and diminutive Jade is in the book. That's so funny. In- I hadn't even picked up on that. You're so right. Oh, and I was just like, are you sleeping with her? <laughs> like- you know, ghostwriters fall in love with the people that they're working with quite frequently. Wait, is that true? I know of one other case for sure. Okay, then that's enough for me. Yeah. That sounds like science. <laughs> science. I mean... And I, you know, now I'm, I am painting an unfair uh, portrait of Jade, but I will say that after this book, Jade writes her own book and it's, yes. And it's, it's titled, this is close to the title. It's like secrets of incredible and erotic lovemaking. I'm so sorry. What the fuck are you saying right now? Yeah. You know what? Let me just look it up right now so I can get the title. So it's not Um, a book about raising Drew Barrymore being like the mom of a, it's a sexual book. It's a sexual book, and she uh, she like goes on Howard Stern to talk about it. Oh, she's interesting. That does color some things for me, for sure. Okay, here's the title. Secrets of World-Class Lovers, Erotic Tips and Sensual Stories. Um, Erotic Tips and Sensual Stories for a Lifetime of Sexual Fulfillment by Jade Barrymore. I wonder if Todd Ghost wrote this as well. He ghost-dicked it. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? That was incredible. Um, In talking about Jade, could we have picked a better name for this woman? It is Jade with an I. J-A-I-D. Like, be careful what you name your kids because it's possibly You could be creating that person. You could be creating this person. You sure were when they named her Jade. The only other Jade I know is that Jade from America's Next Top Model who is, like, very famously, like, I'm an undiscovered supermodel. (laughs) was like... (laughs) And was real bonkers and fun and I, one of my favorites. <laughs> well, hey, there's that. It's, you know, it's got a type. It's got a type to it. Um, so, okay. So then Drew's kind of so out of control that she goes to rehab for the first time. First off, it's called ASAP, which is quite the name for rehab. It's a Hollywood rehab called ASAP. So you're like, feels like that defeats the purpose of rehab, but whatever. <laughs> so Drew's old friend and her friend's mom, who she used to get high with, went to this rehab while they were in New York. And so when they get back to LA and Drew's doing cocaine, Drew and her mom talk to her old friend and they're like, you should go to this rehab and they check her in. And then there's a ton of passages about Jade being overwhelmed and all the paperwork and she's just trying to understand. And it's almost written like a pre-defense for the decision, but then it never pays off. Except after 12 days, Jade pulls Drew out of the rehab to go do a movie. Yeah. Then upon return, she goes back in for a week and then Jade pulls her out to go back to New York, not for a movie, but for dialogue looping. For dialogue, dialogue looping. looping. And then there was one, oh, they needed to see a pl- audition for a play? I think they were auditioning for a play in that. Also oh, in that wonderful. Yeah. That seems important. Yes. And here's what's crazy. Drew writes in the book, I didn't want to go. She, she was starting to like yeah. this rehab. And... And her mom makes her. So then they go to New York. 
Drew meets up with her old friend Stacy. There's a bunch of incredible Stacy stories that we just had to skip for time, but she meets up with Stacy. They immediately go out all night. And and this is how it's it, it's written for us is like, well, Drew would tell her mom that she's going to her friend's house. And this was done a lot in the 90s. They went to their friend's houses. But then it's like, you just got out of rehab. She gets to New York. She's like, I'm going to my friend's house. And then she obviously stays out all night going to clubs and doing cocaine. So she steals her mom's credit card. And they're like, we're going to go. We're going to go shopping on this credit card. They do. Then they're doing more cocaine. And they're like, you know what? Drew's like, I don't want to be here. Let's buy plane tickets. And fly to L.A. By the way, a pre-9-11 sentiment if I ever heard one. Let's just uh, go. <laughs> like, Let's just go. Yeah, you're also like, where's your ID? Where's your parent? But because she's famous and because she's, I think she's 12 or 13 here, they let her get on the plane to L.A. with her friend. By the way, she's calling her mom and being like, I'll be home soon. And Jade's like, sounds good. Flies to L.A. Whew. Then her mom's like, Drew, where are you? And she's like, I'll be home soon, Mom. And, and I guess Jade starts to get worried. And she's they like, then, that sounds like palm trees in the background. Are you in L.A.? <laughs> and she's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, um, oh, we should go to Hawaii. Let's buy plane tickets to Hawaii. So they buy plane tickets to Hawaii now. They're crashing cars. They're on Coke. They're packing for Hawaii. And then um, all of a sudden, two adults appear in the doorway. And Drew turns to him and is like, who the fuck are you? And they're like, we're good friends of your mom's. And they are not the police, but they have handcuffs. And they handcuff Drew, handcuff her, and kidnap her, and drive her to the rehab. She hired a private security firm to go get her kid because she, I guess, didn't want to involve the police. I think that was the mindset, Um, which is something I've heard of parents doing. I know parents that have done this. Yes. Well, what's interesting is that in Drew's um, current talk show, which we'll get to later, she had Paris Hilton come on. Paris Hilton has done a documentary talking about how she was sent away to institutions that traumatized her. And they were institutions for children to get sober. But they put you in solitary confinement. They put you in handcuffs. They put you in restraints. Mm. And I, I, the Paris Hilton documentary is complex. I do recommend it because it's fascinating, not because it's like a great documentary. But Drew, in this interview with Paris, was like, I've been kidnapped before. I've been put into an an institution before. She's talking about this place. And I think this is the kidnapping. And so her, that's interesting. So her take on it as she's gotten older is more accurate, it seems, of like, oh, this is what actually happened to me. That's interesting. But she's still positive. So in in the Paris interview, she's like, the people at my place were really great. They saved my life. Or she would say, my mom put me in an institution, but boo-hoo, I needed it. And you're like, whoa. Um, But here it's like, it's this sweet rehab. And then later in life, she starts calling it an institution. And then there are some interviews where Drew says it's a mental institution. That's very interesting. And I, I can't. I don't know if it's a different place than this. I don't know if they're pretending she's still at ASAP, but she went to a mental institution. I don't know. It's I've tried finding it, and I can't find it. If you find the answers, please go to the Facebook group and put them in there because I need them. Well, you know, I, I worked as a therapist in in a, um, a a residential therapeutic facility when I was a young when I was younger for young men. It was a facility for young men who were um, court ordered to be there. And so I, we didn't use handcuffs. We didn't use any of that stuff, but I worked with kids who were, did not want to be in a treatment facility and were in a treatment facility. And some of the like terms can get like 
some kids called it rehab because they had drug problems, but they actually, you're kind of not treating the drug problem. You're just treating the problems that cause the drug problem. So it kind of mm-hmm. is an institution also. Like, Interesting. Yeah. So it could have been yeah. that it's all the same thing. But I think the problem I always dealt with is that the parents, what they wanted to do was drop their kid off and pick them up a year later fixed and be like, yes. everything's going to be fine now that you fix my kid. And my job was to be like, you are also broken and you've got to make some changes and we got to start right here. And this is how you're going to do it. And you're going to, and, and it was a real struggle, I think, for the parents to admit that they had made mistakes that had led to this. They really wanted it to be all the kids' fault. That is the, that is this book. That That's is this, this book. book. Jade is like, it's not my fault. It's Drew's fault. And spoiler alert, at some point they'll be like, Jade, maybe it is your little, a little bit your fault. And she's like, I guess a little bit. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. I it's so funny. I volunteered at one of those places as well. Uh, uh, but it is the the line between what is punishment, but also you're a teenager, so it's actually rehab to help you, but yeah. then it's still punishment. Tricky places, and the ones Paris Hilton went to sound like torture centers. Okay, so these people kidnapped Drew. Despite despite kidnapping her, she's handcuffed in their I don't know their their Civic, their their normal person car. They get to the place and ask for her autograph. Yeah, that was so tacky. I felt so bad for her in that moment. And and that was Drew writing, can you believe they asked for my autograph? You're like, oh my God. Um, Okay, so then the, the women running the rehab, Betty and Lori, tell Jade that she can no longer remove Drew from the rehab for movies anymore. And the crowd goes wild. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. So, uh, yeah, okay, so so then we get into more Jade stuff. She's, um, she really reminds me of Lynn Spears. I, I got into a Britney hole this summer, and Britney doesn't have a memoir, so I read Lynn Spears' memoir. Um, actually, Lynn Spears' memoir is more infuriating than this book. Really? I, yes, yeah, because it, cause that one's like all Jod. Yeah, you get And no. this yeah. at least has Drew. Yeah. But Lynn would end every chapter in like, I just had no idea. I just had no idea. And then midway through the book, she's like, I had no idea. And then we did it to Jamie Lynn, but I had no idea. Whatever. So if we'd had any other kids, we would have done it to them too. We would have done it to them too. I'm just a poor, sweet woman. And that's what Jade is doing. She then insinuates Drew only opened up to a rehab therapist because she had a crush on him. I was like, rude, stop doing this. She knows Drew thinks she is fat and and had booked her in a movie with a ton of bikini scenes in it when she's 13 years old. And this is part of why Drew doesn't want to work again. And then when she's in the rehab, Jade brings her scripts. Will bring her scripts and Drew finally loses it on her and is like, the other kids get gifts because their yeah. parents love them. And and she gives her a pair of slippers and Drew cries because it's the nicest thing ever. And that's when you're like, have you ever gotten a gift from Jade? I think that's a really lovely moment though. Of, and again, this is just me kind of being the fucking therapist of like, I to me, I kept seeing that as like mom being like, well, that's a thing we connect on. I've had a similar thing. I've had a similar thing in relationships and with my parents were like, oh, I thought you liked this. Like you used to like this and this was our means of connection. So here's this thing. Mm. And me being like, is this all you want from me? I've got so much more. I just want to be loved. And I get that. I get that Jade not understanding, oh, this isn't how we connect. This is her job. And it's not our little hobby. In my head, I'm like, Jade thought this was their little hobby. I, I want so badly for you to be right. 
But there are so many interactions in the book where Drew's like, you just want me for my money. You just want me to work. And Jade's like, no, I don't. And then on the 10th time, she's like, I know you're in rehab, a script. And it's like, I'm pretty sure Drew made it clear that she's really upset that you're managing her and that you quit your job to do this. And so now you force her to work. Yeah, I... I, you're 100% right. I think I, it, I, it's me trying to like make sense out of what this woman's doing. But I yes. think at least that slippers moment was like a slightly teachable moment for Jade to learn like, oh, me doing this, whatever my reasons are for doing this, me giving her scripts is not what she needs right now. Like, yes, yes. And they did frame it as like Jade really got it. Um, spoiler alert, she didn't get it and she's going to fuck up some more, but whatever. She did get it in that moment. Um, so rehab starts to work for Drew. There's, there's a bunch, there's like a bunch of time where Drew's like trying to escape and trying to like make out with gross dudes there. But then once she's past that rehab starts to work and she talks about how like they care for her and they're present for her. And I think she needed that box that you were talking about. Yeah. And she starts family therapy with Jade where those therapists can be there saying like, can you see how what you're doing is contributing And again, she's like, you're mean to me. You take all my money. You only love me because I work and I get you into parties. And then the Jod paragraph will be like, well, Drew's a bitch. She's really mean. She she's no angel. I'll tell you that. And then um, and then they and then they try and blame a lot of it on single parent homes. Isn't it interesting? It was not great. It was not. And I think that that to me, I was like, oh, that was the mindset of 1990. Yes. Was like, oh, it's awful. The broken home does a it to you. The broken home, how dare you? Like, I, and I think we've evolved since then, but that, yeah, that was ugly. That was not good. Well, and they just keep trying to be like, well, it's a single parent home. And then they'll try and say like, well, Jade was gone because someone had to pay the bills. And you're like, well, it's what Drew. What was she doing? Drew was paying the bills. Your the job, bills. what are you, E and Entourage? Your only job is to be there for Vinny. You have no yeah. other job. <laughs> I love that comparison. Yeah, it's, and I will say someone in in the the Instagram book club, they were like, I'm in, in social work and it is proven that feeling abandoned by your parent has nothing to do with one 100%. parent, two parents, <laughs> heterosexual parents, obviously. It, it can be anyone in your life. And if they care for you, you are healthy. And you if can, they don't care for you, you yes. are not healthy, no matter who it is, what it is, where it is. Stop blaming it on these like yes. uh, these other things that aren't real. Also demonizing, and not the case here, but when we're demonizing a single parent for having to go out and work to pay the bills, I don't I don't dig on that either. I think that's lame yeah. too, because that parent is doing their best to provide a, a house and a home for a child when they're not a, a international uh, superstar. And I don't like that we demonize that either. And like, we should I, be I there more. Absolutely not. You need and to work. You, we are doing our work. best. And when they are there, when they do care and love their kid, it goes great. So that's yeah. really just the only part. You can have two bio parents who are married to each other and feel like the loneliest creature on the planet. It, it can easily sing happen. It. Yeah. Sing it. Yes, completely. Okay, so speaking of parents, Betty, the woman at the clinic, introduces Drew to David Crosby, as in Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. It is like the most L.A., like, can we not have a single person who is not famous and a, and 50 years older than this girl helping her out? Yes, but you can tell she's drawn to male yeah. uh, older figures because she's craving her dad in this book. So, yeah, so she loves these father figures. And then the reason she introduces her is is because Betty, the woman who runs the rehab, married Dallas Taylor, who used to be in, in Crosby, Stills, and Nash and & Young, 
and then got kicked out because of his drug and alcohol use, went to the inpatient center, fell in love with Betty, and Betty married her patient. That is unethical. I I was like, this doesn't seem okay. But no, that, I mean, it, clearly they, I guess they found a way to make it work. Also, that poor guy, of course he was having problems. They never officially put him in the band enough to include his name. That's not nice. <laughs> You're right. I don't know the story behind that. But I think crazier is that then Betty is like, well, you know what? Let's get you to let go of your dad. David once knew your father, again, so L.A., he knows what he's like. He's going to play your dad in a scene because you're an actress. And you're going to let go of your dad. And David's like, I don't think it should be me. And she's like, you're right. It should be my husband, Dallas Taylor, who also knew Drew's dad. And then Dallas plays Drew's dad in a scene exercise for her to yell at her dad. Uh, it's a lot. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. This is a real technique. Um, it is most often better done with the therapist playing the part of the parent or whatever, because the a other person professional. is a, interesting, a, interesting. a wild card. Yeah, you, you don't want a wild card in that scenario. Also true, it doesn't really matter what he has to say to her. It's just what she needs to say to him. So often it's called the empty chair technique, and you're literally just saying everything you need to say to an empty chair. Mm. Getting a third person involved is a little bonkers, but you know. Bonkers. Also, is is that what Cl Robert Redford did when he yelled at that empty chair? Um, it was Clint Eastwood <laughs> at the GOP. And um, yeah, that's his version of the empty chair technique, I guess. I got to tell you, Clint Eastwood came into my mind first, and then Robert, and then they just really worked out to be the same person for a second in my head. <laughs> you know who doesn't love that? Robert Redford. <laughs> no, no, no. Robert Redford, a uh, much better guy. It's a Good bummer guy. I did that. So Drew is in rehab. It's going well. She's finally about to get out of the rehab. Stuff is going well for her. And then it gets crazier. So National Enquirer gets word that that child star Drew is in this rehab. There's a story where like Jade is like, yes, here's my daughter, Drew. Oh, I had no idea. It was a reporter. Whatever. The idea in this book is that National Enquirer is going to run this story. Therefore, Drew needs to tell her own story. And then there's a bunch of weird shit of like, this is Drew's decision. And then later things that like don't match that. And then it's like, well, she's been writing it the whole time. But then you said she just started and then she had to. It's it, when well, they I, also I just, said that the National Enquirer thing was like two reporters came. Jade said, you can't come in. And they said, we're going to get revenge on Drew for not talking to us. And then the story came out like, I don't think that's how it I, works. I don't, I don't believe any of that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like. I don't, yeah, I don't know what happened, but it feels like a bunch of adults decided she should write this book and then tried to pretend it was her decision and that the National Enquirer had a part in this. I don't know. But um, so Drew gets out of rehab. She's like, I'll tell People Magazine my story from my point of view, which, you know, this podcast really believes in that. So good for her. So um, she does the People article. They get lots of letters. Jade is like, of course, people try to blame me and choose me to be a scapegoat. That's natural, but it's not my fault. And then Jod writes that Drew relapses, and it's so infuriating. Here's the sentence, quote, Little more than 12 weeks out of rehab, Drew suffered a gross error of judgment and responsibility, as well as an abdication of willpower. Uh, like, don't talk about sobriety and alcoholism in terms of willpower, you dumb fuck. You said you were a journalist. Like, look up the goddamn issue and, and do some research because it's... It, uh, she's still a kid. She's still a kid. And I, I'm like, are, when I read that, I was like, are they trying to, like, 
Are they saying this to the kids that are reading it in 1990 to be like, don't do drugs, kids. What she did yeah. was bad. I don't, it just was like, it felt really, it, that was cruel. And also that entire section. So basically she finishes a book and then there's like two chapters at the end that are like, I fucked up. Whoopsie. Um, those felt incredibly rushed to me. Incredibly rushed. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it, it, which again is weird. The book's not going to be published for two more years past this point. Yeah. Like something happened here and why it's out of print. I hope we find the answers one day. But those last two chapters, while rushed, get even crazier. So Drew is 14 at this point. She gets a boyfriend named Peter, who is 22. So let's remember, she just got out of rehab. She is 14. She starts dating this 22-year-old. Then he starts, quote, pulling away from her and becomes best friends with Jade. And there are stories where it's like, and then Jade is going out with Peter and they're I'm I'm not invited. And then Jade takes Peter on a trip to New York and doesn't invite Drew. And she's constantly calling them good friends and good friends with a healthy relationship that I'm not capable of. And you're like, oh God, she's fucking Peter. She has to be. Oh, is there any chance, Emily? Is there any chance that she and Peter are you did talking not about Jade have... or are you talking about Drew? Who are you even well, talking about? No, Drew and Peter, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Jade, world-class yeah. lover, secrets and tips to a fulfilling sexual lifestyle. Did she, again, yeah. I know I'm being so rude, but did she have sex with Peter? 100%. 100%. They, they definitely were dating. Like, there's no world, and that is uh, crushing to a crushing. young woman. And you want to believe, like, okay, well, they kept it from Drew, and she d- genuinely believes they're friends. But what I believe is that Drew wrote... Um, Jade and Peter are boyfriend and girlfriend and then Jod copy pasted friends and then published the book. <laughs> yeah, just replace all? Yes. Replace <laughs> all friends. It's just insane. At it's, four, I'm a little yeah. shocked that Jade wasn't like, well, I was trying to get the 22-year-old away from my daughter and the only way to do oh. that was with my vagina. <laughs> but listen, Emily, that would have been great spin. That would have been what Todd should have suggested as the That's narrative a great arc. Job. Yeah. That's a great job. You just did a great job there. I did a great Um, job. So then at 14 years old, fresh out of rehab, Drew moves out. She moves out to live on her own because she and her mom are doing so badly. And she says she feels bad because, quote, she's giving the house to my mom and Peter. Again, good friends, mom and Peter. What does it mean? And then Jade later says, I only let her move out because I knew she and her friend Edie were too competitive and they would fight all the time and she'd come back. And you're like, she just got out of rehab. What are you talking about? What are you talking yeah, about? What, when, when is your responsibility to be a parent to a small child rather than, I guess, shacking up with her boyfriend who's a grown up? Uh, there, there's a couple of instances letting her leave rehab twice where I was like, I would destroy you. Like as a as a therapist, I would destroy you in my office. I would not let you mm-hmm. leave that office alive because that's egregious past the point of I convinced myself everything was okay. That is an absolute decision you made that is harmful to your child. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, Emily, I wish you'd been working at ASAP. Um, <laughs> so then Although Drew- I think Lori and whoever Be- what was Lori and Betty. They were great for the most part. I think oh, they were good. really good for her. I'm glad yeah. you, yeah, because I I tried to look Betty up and couldn't even find a photo, but I did find that she was on Britney Spears' sobriety team. I um, like this. I like this for her. And you know, I was, you get I, into a groove career-wise. You, seriously, you know, you, you find your niche. Um, so I'm glad she was good. And they do sound like they really helped her. At least they yeah. were like a force of, and telling Drew, like, uh, sorry, telling Jade that what she was doing was not okay. 
Absolutely. Setting limits, doing all that good stuff. Absolutely. But she's but but they're not around anymore because Drew is what? Out of rehab on her own. She is supporting herself by get this, working at clubs. She's working at clubs. I don't know how this works. She and her roommate named Edie, who is someone she met in rehab, live in this shithole in West Hollywood, which um, I, I pro- that's probably where I lived. I lived in West Hollywood <laughs> when I got here. Might have lived in that same shithole. And they do end up fighting. And then one day, Drew slits her wrists as what is written as like a cry for help. Like she was kind of like threatening to commit suicide, but then actually slices her wrists. Uh it's kind of like she didn't mean to, but you know, who knows? But also, self harm, you know, it didn't get is big for a few years, but like that, I could, I saw that as like a parasuicidal gesture of like someone who is desperate for like relief in some regard. So I, I, I was like, okay, yeah, that yeah. doesn't, I agreed that it didn't feel like a suicidal an actual suicidal attempt, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? If maybe it was spin, but yeah, it didn't seem like it was, but it was, she was going through something. I mean, it was awful, yeah. So then she goes back to rehab after this, and also because she broke her sobriety for what they say is smoking weed twice, but that feels like a lie, but whatever. Yep. Then Jade goes to rehab for codependence. She goes to rehab for six hours and then is like, no, thanks. Then Drew has to be like, I am 14 years old. I have been in rehab for a year. Get your ass Back to rehab, mom, or you don't love me. So Just Jade goes. Just clap emojis every other word. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, thank God. And then Jade is like, oh, fine. If I contributed negatively to this relationship, then I'll go to rehab too for codependence. And codependence is heavily misunderstood. I myself do not fully understand it. However, I do think, especially 30 years ago, codependence was a word that people look at with some positivity. So I think Jade feels okay saying, like, I had a problem with codependence. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, you're right, I think. Yeah. Uh And so I almost wonder if she actually went to rehab for something else. And I don't know. I don't know enough about it. But I, I... she feels okay admitting she's codependent and that that's what she's trying to work through. Because I think it has a victimization um, association that with it. That is a that's, very good point. That's... Yeah. And again, I don't know if enough about it, but I think, like, when this was written, Jade thought Jade liked that narrative. It's also, like, there isn't... And I think that's what... When people, like, when celebrities fuck up now, it's like, oh, just go to rehab. And it's like, half the time, it's just like, they have money? We'll just invent a rehab for whatever your specific thing is. Like... <laughs> Uh, you're a racist asshole? Uh, yeah, sure, rehab. Oh, we got a rehab for Racist that. Like, rehab. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think if you need intensive therapy, you shouldn't need to be in a residential program unless you're, like, kind of unsafe in the world or you have a lot of money. That, uh, uh, Like, yes. if you have a lot of money, you can go away to, like, get yourself help. And I'm not besmirching that. I think that's perfectly fine if you do. But I don't know that that's, like, the best way to handle a codependent uh, parent-child relationship is to go to, like, a rehab away from that kid. I don't know that that's the best way to handle it. Yeah, and when she's gone, Jay, you know, Drew's alone, like, doesn't have yeah. access to her mom. Great, great, great point. I was wondering about that. Okay, so then, again, these are rushed chapters. So now we're, tw- we're, um, we're at the end. The wrap-up is about how Drew thinks she and her mom are going to make it, and they're going to be okay. And she's going to move back in, And it's all lies. And so let's read the last page because it it really sums it up. And then we have to talk more about what happened right after the book came out. Because I'm desperately excited. I didn't look up anything. I'm very curious. Oh, so much. Okay. And that's me, Drew Barrymore, age 14 today. I have to accept this person, frailties and all, for who she is and not try to be someone else. I can't obsess about my weight. 
I can't compete with my mother. I can't find love where there isn't any love to be found. I can't go on beating myself up emotionally and physically or else I'll have the miserable life I've been trying so desperately to escape. And then at the end, I am not a miracle worker. I'm not someone special. Whatever I've accomplished has been through hard work, tears, pain, love, and more hard work. My goals are simple, to stay sober and to live a good life. All I can do is the best I can. Which I know it was supposed to be uplifting, but I found that to be the saddest page in the whole book. You I just you sweet baby. I just wanted to like, oh, I just wanted to take her into my arms. And when I read this the first time, she was two years older than me. <laughs> I guess she still is, sir. Uh, but I just, uh, I felt a real, I felt sad for her. I felt very sad for her. I, yeah. I remember reading it for the salaciousness and like coming away from it. I could even, I'll retcon this and be like, I got the idea to be a family therapist from reading this. That's not true. But um, <laughs> I, I, it might be, it might be a little bit. I will say I didn't remember the the family therapy struck me as being really accurate. Those scenes, I was like, yeah, this is kind of what it feels like when I you do multifamily therapy, which I've done a bunch. Oh, that's incredible and to hear. It's, um, I just remember coming away from it feeling very sad for her. Yes. And, and I, I came away from it this time feeling extremely sad for her and, there's not spin in the Drew parts. She's she is really honest. And w- what I actually didn't pull out when reading this, but did just now, is that when I looked Drew and Jade up, and I'll put photos on my Instagram story if you want to go see. But um, Jade's very tiny. She's a, and she's a very like um, thin, like naturally thin, kind of bonier, sharper looking woman, which as we know, very in in the nineties, and super hot. And Drew's rounder. Drew has more of her the Barrymore side. And when I looked it up, I immediately had this hit because this is how I relate is when you have a really hot mom and you're not very hot and your mom's very, very thin and you are not thin. Um, it's, it's extremely painful and it creates really vicious emotions between you two. And that I will say my mom, my mom was just living her life. And I was like, I want to kill myself. Like you're so high. Yeah. (laughs) Like I can't fit into your clothes and I'm the teenager and it's so, so painful. And Drew has a lot of weight issues. And, and just then in that last chapter, she was like, I can't compete with my mom. And this whole time I was like, Jade's competing with her. Jade wants to be an actress. Da, 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 da. But I forgot that Drew's also competing back and comparing herself to her mom. And that's why she feels so fat and ugly. And that's what's interesting. Cause when you look at photos of Drew, never in, any She's of the so photos have been like, yeah. is that a fat person? And never, no. ever, like, in Poison Ivy, oh my lord, she's like the hottest creature on the planet Earth. Yeah. Um, the idea, and you're right, I, I don't know what that's like. My mom, my mom's a real host beast. No, I just don't have a mom. <laughs> I'm I'm bigger than my mom in a lot of ways. I'm much taller than her, but I never, I don't know that experience of like having to feel like you're competing with your mom. It, I bet it's miserable. Oh, it's, miserable. it's, yeah, it's so miserable. Because you're looking at like, I'm so, I'm not only you, do you compare yourself to the world, but you have someone next to you whose genes you have. And you're like, why? Why won't I look like that? You know, um, but so, OK, so she's like, me and my mom are going to be OK. Drew immediately goes to court and gets emancipated from Jade and Jade supported it. And I know she wrote about this in the book Wildflower. And at 14, she becomes a legal adult and starts living alone. And so before this book even comes out, she so has done this. Here's the thing. I've been I've been on the case. And 
I haven't been able to fully crack it, but I have a theory that Drew was emancipated already and Jod kept it out of the book. Interesting. Be- because she, in the book, she's writing about living with Edie and how she had to move out from her mom and what Edie's like in West Hollywood and da da da. Then in Wildflower, she tells a story about moving in with her friend Justine in West Hollywood. And there's boyfriend details that match up. And the place they're living in sounds like the same. And the Justine story in Wildflower, the timeline would match up with they were already emancipated when the book was written. But it's it all kind of comes down, my theory comes down to was Edie and Justine, are they both fake names because she met this girl in rehab? for the same person. And if they are, I think she was emancipated and Jod removed it from the book. Or there's a chance she lived alone, immediately writes the book, gets emancipated all within the year of 14. And I don't know which it is. But that's interesting. It's, it feels like, yeah, if they because they're really trying hard in that book to, to like a both sides thing. And, and then hearing about an emancipation would really uh, shift that. So I can see them leaving that out of the book. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think they were still trying this idea of like, well, Drew needs to keep working as an actress. So this needs to be sold to like teenagers to get their life right. And they didn't want to sell some of these harsher truths. Again, this is my, this is my crazy theory. This is my conspiracy game. I don't know what's right. This is great detective work is what it is. Thank you. Thank you so much. But I, so then one of the craziest things that came out of book club um, is that someone was like, you know Drew Barrymore has a line of wine, right? Flower wine, right? Um, Barrymore wines. Oh, sorry, so sorry. Yeah, that's right. Flower that's right. is her company. Flower films, that's right. So really something to think about. Wrote a book about being an alcoholic. Gets a line of wine. Like, wh- in, and, and I looked for articles being like, what the fuck? Like, isn't her whole thing sobriety? She has a line of wines. I only found like one tiny blog that included it at all. So um, she's never referenced the idea that she's sober and has a line of wines? No. No. And I think purposefully. I think yeah. she was like, that was a long time ago. I have wine now and I'm not, I don't live a sober life anymore, but also doesn't address it. it I, I haven't been able to find it. I tried to track down the wine, Emily. It has gone so out of business. I could not find a single oh. bottle of Pinot Grigio, but I found one. I tried to order two. I found one bottle of Barrymore Rosé. And I'm going to bring it to you to thank you for being on the podcast. <laughs> but please know it is possibly the last bottle in the world. I don't know. I, I should, I, we should save one. it. It'll be our nest egg. It'll be our nest. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Save it. Do what you want with it. Drink it. But it's coming for you. Um, and so I just want to track this. This is what really got me. Drew had four big faces in life. She was this childhood star and the drunken party club hopper. Then she has this phase at 19 where she poses for Playboy and she's flashing Letterman and she's like this wild child. But also that same year that she poses for Playboy, she forms her company. I was like, I fucking love this. I love this. Then a little time passes. She comes back with a vengeance. That's the wedding singer. Never been kissed ever after writing cards with boys like these, these just this slew of films. And then comes back again for her her next phase with more power. She's producing Charlie's Angels. She's directing yes. with it. She's marrying Tom Green, which now makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and didn't their house burn down? I don't did it. It did. So it's, it's a very famous video you can look up. Their house burnt down, and there's a video of the two of them in a car and a reporter being like, what happened? And they're like, our house burnt down. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> 
I I have to find that. I, when I heard about this in the news, I was like, this is psychotic. How did she marry Tom Green? Now I realize that she... W- she has that case of yearning for someone to love you. And yeah. so it feels so good to pick someone with walls up, a weirdo who won't love you, who's a psycho, and and um, and get them to love you. Yeah. And that battle recreates all those emotions you wanted with your parents. Yeah. It feels so good. It's addictive. It Just is Sisyphean as hell. Push that boulder <laughs> up that hill. You're never going to get it up there. I can see producer like slinking in her chair like, oh God. I mean, I have surely done it. Yeah. Oh, not me. I've, I've been great oh. the whole time. I'm really good. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. It hit a... <laughs> A little too close to home. There was just, you know, to say I have daddy issues is understatement. I've had uh, multiple dads reject me. And um, so I was so addicted to dating guys who didn't like me and being like, I can change their mind. And it just felt it was a cycle. And I'm out of it. Oh, God, thank God I'm out of it. So, okay. So then Drew now has her own talk show. And I, in my first jobs in TV writing were for late night shows. And Drew really didn't strike me as a a late night host. And now having read her book, I totally get it. She's always been this kid bouncing around Hollywood, knows everyone, this source of positivity and light and like has so much love to give. And watching her show through that lens, I love it. I love it so much. And I will say um, when I was doing this, on my Instagram, I found her People magazine when she's like 14, being you did. like, yes. And then I found incredible People magazine covers throughout Drew's life. And I realized we watched her um, go to rehab. We've re- known her forever. We've known her forever. Go to rehab. And then her Steven Spielberg becomes her godfather. And then, you know, she. She gets in a good relationship. She gets healthy. She gets married. She has kids. She divorces. And it's like her life in People magazines. Um, and I'll post it all. So there's that. Um, okay. I think we're at the closing. And uh, I close every podcast with a, a thank you to the author. Um, so are my, you gonna do are you gonna do Todd or <laughs> Yeah, am I gonna think? Hmm. I have, yes. <laughs> oh God. Um, so for Drew, I'll say. I was neutral on Drew Barrymore before this. I, I I didn't have any really thoughts other than that's a, that's a woman who exists. And now I feel like she is a walking miracle who is constant positivity, sometimes to her own detriment, and yet still chooses positivity. And what a gift to the world to like have someone with that much light survive all this and keep her light intact. And also, she's weird. She's a fucking weirdo. And I'm weird. Like I'm a weird, weird girl. And I love weird girl energy. And I love that she's like putting that shit out there. So that is my thank you to Drew. That's a very good thank you. It's going to be very hard to compete with. Please Uh, compete with me like I am Jade and you are Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, mom, I'm sorry you can't get work. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) I have always been grateful to her. I've always seen her as someone who doesn't half-ass anything And I've always really respected that about her. I think she, what I loved about her, because I grew up kind of a bad kid, but I wasn't like a surly bad kid. I was like a super positive bad kid. That's true, yeah. (laughs) And I, I, I violently happy. I'm like, I was always like a little violently kind of excited. And um, I have always appreciated that in her. And I think learning that she, when I was a young woman learning that she was fucked up, really was wonderful to hear and like a deeply kind of moving thing to hear. And then watching what she's kind of 
been able to do with it and seeing like the older she gets, the more she kind of seems to be like just a weird, genuine weirdo is I, I, I couldn't be more grateful for it. So I, I thank her for being similar to you. I thank her for being a, a, a violently weird, bad kid who is positive. Um, Emily, where can people find you? In my house. I haven't left in nine months. You really haven't left. <laughs> a, a lot of people are like, I've never left. Emily has not gone out the gate. So you can't. You can't. You're <laughs> um, <laughs> the sick person. Uh, <laughs> the, I, I'm online. Uh, I'm at Emily V. Gordon most places. Um, and I'd love to plug washing your hands and wearing a mask. Oh, great plugs. Huge yeah. hit. Sexy film, if I ever heard of one. Um, yeah, so find Emily and go watch The Big Sick for just, if you haven't seen it, incredible watch, a gift for your for your quarantine viewing. <laughs> Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I adore you. And you gave me the gift of this horrifying book, and I'll never forget. So bless you. Bless you. You're the best. I miss you terribly. Uh, I can't wait to hang out with you guys again. One day. One day. One day. <laughs> That's all for this week's episode. Coming up next is an incredible array of episodes with really good friends of mine. We have Casey St. Ange from Busy Phillips Podcast discussing Sheila E. and all things Prince. We have Leighton Meester coming on to discuss Carly Simon. It's a really heartfelt book. And Stephanie Beatriz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine is doing the Celine Dion book with me. You guys, I, I, I did not think Celine was going to have a good book. It was crazy. It's one of my favorite reads. I cannot wait for these episodes to come out. There's even more killer episodes headed your way. So click to subscribe, share the link with a friend, an episode with a friend if you want to start your own book club. And if you really want to get into it with me, there is a Facebook group. It's Celebrity Book Club Podcast. That is where you can start your own discussions and deep dives, and I'm on there too. And I know this is corny, but the group means a lot to me. <laughs> We're in quarantine, and like this group is like everything to me, and I love it so much. So come join us if 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 you're a celebrity book club person. I could not do this show without our incredible production team, executive producer Daisy Rosario, producer Brandon Nix, and associate producer Corinne Wallace. You can listen to ad-free episodes of Celebrity Book Club only on Stitcher Premium. And if you want a free month, go to stitcherpremium.com, use the promo code BOOKS, and you can always listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. I read all the reviews and I love them. Um, and finally, Quarantine is hard. Pandemic is rough. But this podcast has helped me keep uh, my sanity, if you can call it that. And so thank you so much to every single person who does this with me. I feel like I'm starting to get emotional and I'm not sure if that's the podcast or um, the eggnog. Yep, I'm still on eggnog. Okay, see you guys next week. 